This is The Ghost Light, the weekly interview podcast that shines the spotlight on theater professionals that don't see it as often as the stars. At 21, I was a young performance artist and around I'd run with art school dudes and we would spend our day Thanks for listening to the 19th episode of The Ghost Light. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm your host, Matt Morris. The Ghost Light is a podcast dedicated to theater professionals that don't normally get interviewed. I want to tell all types of stories and learn from all types of people. Education about lesser-known sides of the theater is key to me. On today's episode, I sit down with Genevieve Beller to learn more about what it takes to succeed as a costume designer. Genevieve is a great personality with tons of experience and a bright future ahead of her. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone. I'm joined by Genevieve Beller today. She's a NYC-based costume designer and was graceful enough to come all the way from Inwood to Sunnyside, which is a very long trip if you're not from New York. Um, I wasn't able to find much about you online other than what was on your website. So if you just want to go ahead and start from the beginning when you got into the theater to where you're at now, that would be excellent. Sure. Yeah, I keep a little bit of a low profile. Um but I'm originally from Florida, where um, I got started in high school, uh, like many of your guests, playing soccer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sports. <laughs> uh, sports, yeah. yeah. And then um, sort of I got to high school and my mother made us choose an extracurricular and I could not do soccer and drama. So I, I had to pick mm-hmm. and I didn't get in the school play. Uh, so they said, well, you know, do you like to make things? Yeah, I love to make things. I like, you know, to use hammers and I'm great at the Pinewood Derby. I said, great. <laughs> you can be on the sewing, you can be on the costume crew. And so I had never sewn. I think I had done like a pillow in middle school. Um, So I ended up on the costume crew and fell absolutely in love with that level of storytelling. So that by the time it was time for me to go to college, I had enough of a portfolio that I was accepted to the University of Florida um, BFA program as a freshman. Wow. Which um, hysterically, I actually did not get into the college um, but the theater program made up a scholarship oh, wow. and went to admissions and said, hey, we promise you she's really smart. <laughs> <laughs> Very special. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then after graduating, I went to sort of the entertainment capital of Florida, Orlando, mm-hmm. and uh, worked at Universal Studios as a Jaws skipper. So I worked in entertainment while I waited for my design career to take off. Like many, many others. Like many others, uh, which it eventually did. I started designing pretty regularly in Orlando for places like the Orlando Repertory Theater, the Mad Cow Theater. I was um, the first personal costume designer for Ginger Minge. Mm. Maybe you've heard of her. Um, (laughs) So, and then I sort of got to a point where it was time to level up, decided to go to grad school, went to Erda's here in New York City, mm-hmm. ended up again, just really, 
I don't want to say falling in love because I initially hated the professor from University of Missouri, <laughs> Kansas City, uh, Lindsey Davis. He will let you know what you need to work on and he will let you know in no uncertain terms. And he was actually the only person who was doing that. So I ended up at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, where I got my master's degree in costume design. And then after that, uh, I took a year, stayed in Kansas City, uh, started a theater company with my friends uh, producing, did that for a year, and then took the jump to New York, mm -hmm. started out working in the Broadway shops as a first hand, as a stitcher, and then one day I got a Facebook message, of all things, from Whitney Locker, the mm -hmm. costume designer for Fiasco Theaters Into the Woods, saying she needed an, um, an associate. Great. We had both gone to UMKC. So that was my first sort of big break in New York City. And I ended up designing, uh, being a teaching artist, uh, traveling around the country. I joined um, USA 829, um, which is the designers union through IATSE uh, about a year ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Very excited about that. And um, now, I actually just got word a couple of days ago that I am going to be assisting Jane Greenwood on her next project, which is The Parisian Woman on Broadway, starring Uma Thurman. Extra congratulations. Yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> little blown away right now. Yeah, yeah. That's very impressive. So to go back to where you started, you said that you were in sports and then you had the story where you uh, didn't make the play as an actor. And so they kind of forced you into something that you ended up really loving. What was it about stitching and costume that you loved? Um, well, it took a long time for me to fall in love with sewing, I'll be mm -hmm. honest. And it's still, <laughs> it's something that I, I'm good at and that I still make quite a bit of money on the side as a crafts artisan as a, and as a um, stitcher mm -hmm. is what it's called in the theater industry. Uh, but eventually they sort of, I'm sorry. I'm like having a moment. No, no. Um, on that first production, in addition to costumes, they had me on props and I really, really enjoyed the search mm -hmm. for that item that would help to tell the story. When I was a child, I remember I was about five years old and a professional storyteller came to our school and I remember being just entranced that that was a job that someone could have. Mm -hmm. um, it turns out it's not really a job. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there there's like maybe five or six people that are making it as a story, yeah. as a actual storytellers. But the idea of being able to tell that story through, I believe that production was The Crucible. Um, so trying to find the exact right pair of spectacles that would make our high school age Giles Corey believable. Mm -hmm. Something about that hunt and that collaboration and sort of peeling back the layers of those people really, really appealed to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it wasn't necessarily all about costuming. It was about even props to other design aspects. But what led you specifically to costuming? It just, you know, honestly, it, just happened or <laughs> it didn't just happen. It yeah. just felt right because mm -hmm. eventually I did start getting roles in high school and I was getting a lot of leads mm -hmm. and I was designing costumes for the show. By that time, I had acquired a mentor through happenstance um, 
Her name was Jane Lane, and she had been an assistant to um, Edith Head mm-hmm. back in Hollywood in the day. And I just, when I was on stage, I would very much get lost in a role uh, to the point that I have no memory of actually being <laughs> on stage. You know, mm-hmm. I'm told I was great by my parents, but I, I don't actually remember being on stage. And the that exploration process and being able to exercise the engineer part of my brain that likes to build things along with the artist part of my brain that likes to, you know, play with colors and shape and pattern. And then of course I was raised by two therapists. So Mm -hmm. asking questions about characters (laughs) and their motives comes, you know, kind of natural at this point. So it was just a process that every sort of interest that I had had leading up until that moment just clicked. Well, I, I appreciate that answer. <laughs> Very well-rounded <laughs> answer. So you did most of your early work, uh, professional work, as a stitcher. And uh, you kind of explain what that was. But in the theater, it seems like it's kind of a thankless job, but it gets you steady work. So like, w- what, what led to stitching? And would you recommend that as something that people really work on to get more work? Um, well, I wouldn't say that most of my early work came from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, it's sort of, stitching is something that I do, I call it my working vacation. Okay. <laughs> um, and it, there is a little bit of a misconception that um, costume technicians are failed designers, mm-hmm. um, well, and that designers are failed actors, and that is just absolutely not true. And I think earlier I referred to the engineering part of my brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And so costume technicians are absolutely the engineers in our field. Mm -hmm. field. Um, And my specialty in particular is costume crafts. So if someone needs some armor made (laughs) or um, a dozen pairs of Farquaad shoes for Mm -hmm. Shrek, uh, body padding, masks, you know, anything involving a bandsaw and a heat gun that's a costume, <laughs> I am absolutely your girl. Mm-hmm. But yeah, early in my career, I, w- I worked at a roadhouse when I was about 15 in wardrobe. And someone said to me, you know, sweetheart, the quick, the best way on stage is through the backstage door. Mm. And it is true that um, technician work is a good source of income. Mm -hmm. And it's also a really great place to meet people. I just finished stitching for the Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder crew. Mm -hmm. uh, Tour, not crew. Um, The Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder tour, where I met a designer that actually I've admired afar for years. Um, And now we're very, very good friends. And previous to that, I was on the Sound of Music tour, which directly led to me assisting on the Parisian woman. Later on, uh, or I guess even early on, like you said, you, you were also doing a lot of designing. So where where does your inspiration come from in a show? Do you look specifically within the show or do you look to other sources? Oh, wow. Um, that's a big question. Um, in grad school, uh, a fellow uh, student used to call me the concept queen <laughs> was sort of the the nickname that I came away with. I'm very much about there has to be a big idea that guides me in my design. And so that inspiration comes from a lot of places. Uh, It absolutely comes from reading the script. It also comes from speaking with the director and my fellow designers and the actors as well about 
which part of this story are we telling? Mm -hmm. Because not everyone puts on the same Hamlet. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have to decide what is this Hamlet about? And then, you know, you have research with time period and, you know, all of the uh, literature analysis that you do in high school and college comes into play where it's like, well, but what do the clouds mean? And how do I get the audience thinking about clouds and sunsets? Is that color? Is that line? And so you use the language of clothing and design and um, texture and color and line, even light. Um, I love working with lighting designers to bring out unexpected elements of costumes at key moments. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's you get the inspiration from the work, from your own education, from the people around you. Uh, mostly, I take walks. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, I collect images and information i'll go to the library uh i was very lucky i got to go to the berg counterculture archive here in new york city mm -hmm. um which you have to like write an essay to yeah. get in and you're not allowed to have a pencil they give you a golf pencil and like <laughs> a three by four inch piece of paper and like all right take notes but i'm going through magazines on how to live in a commune mm -hmm. while I'm researching for hair. So you internalize all of that mm -hmm. and then you put it away Yeah, and you take a walk and sometimes things come out. So I'm actually in that phase right now um, for several different shows. So mm -hmm. as they pop up, I always have my notebook with me, write it down, do a quick sketch. Yeah. I very much admire and respect designers because no part of my brain works in a way where I could think about how to make people think of a cloud or, you know, through, through, uh, like you said, like a cloud or like a tree or something through your design. So that's always so impressive to me. I do not think it's true that you are <laughs> incapable of doing that. I think that we don't always teach people the language, mm -hmm. um, but everyone has the capacity for that language because if you didn't, you wouldn't understand it when I put it on stage. Yeah. Yeah, it's deep in there somewhere. It's just to pull it out, right? <laughs> yeah, so I like I said, costume designing and, and most of design in general is kind of a void in my knowledge. Like, can you walk me through what your process looks like from start to finish? You spoke on it briefly, but mm -hmm. you, so you read the play and yep. then you you think about it and you take a walk. What what do the in-between pieces look like? Well, there's a lot of I mean, that's very much the early stages. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is a point where you sort of take your spreadsheet and you figure out who is what and where when and how many pieces you need and how much money you have. And you say, hey, can I have some more? <laughs> exactly. Um, and so you sit down and you sketch or collage or whatever the medium is that works for you or the play at that time. And there's a lot of back and forth with the director and um, the other designers to sort of come up with a cohesive idea. Mm -hmm. And then you become a project manager. Mm -hmm. So uh, in regional theaters, a lot of theaters will have their own costume shop. So they'll have a shop manager and they'll have first hands, which those are, um, those are the engineers. Those are the ones that are figuring out how to build the garment. Mm -hmm. um, and then they'll have, um, sorry, not first hands, drapers. <laughs> you'll have uh, you'll have shop managers and you'll have drapers um, who are. I like just believe everything you say. Just so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's a giant buffalo yeah, who comes totally. down and he blesses your work. 
Um, no, so you have the drapers who figure out how to how to make it. The first hands are their assistants who also have quite a bit of knowledge on their own. And then you have stitchers. And in between there, there's assistants. There are craft artisans. There are, I often end up working with hair and makeup designers. It's, there is a whole industry. There are even people that just do timbre beading, which is um, the 3D embroidered beadwork that you might see on the Game of Thrones. Wow. People there, just do that there, as a job. There is a woman in Jersey City that does all of the timbre beading in New York City. Impressive. Yes. Yeah, I monopoly. hope she never retires. <laughs> so um, yeah, the regional theaters have those shops. New York, it's a little different um, because most theaters don't really have a company in residence. It's these different production companies coming in. So we have professional costume shops all over New York City that designers will contract out all or just parts of their show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, when I worked at Parsons Mears, they have the contract for The Lion King. So my early days in New York were spent braiding grass skirts until my fingers <laughs> bled. Um, I learned an immense amount of, about color and texture and pattern um, by having the privilege of stitching Greg Barnes's designs for Aladdin at mm-hmm. Eric Winterling. Uh, but you have to become a project manager and find your associate, find your assistants, hire these people. Um, and there's, you know, dozens of people, sometimes even, I think so for Aladdin, it was 26 different costume shops. Wow. In six weeks built that show, um, he said in an interview. So it doesn't take a village. It takes a country <laughs> yeah. sometimes if you're talking about, you know, Broadway scale. But then you get into the off-off-Broadway um, and the summer stock theaters, and it's little old me in a room somewhere <laughs> sewing fur onto a hamster costume. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's anywhere and in between. So, yeah, you have your building process and, you know, how much of it are you going to build? How much of it are you going to be able to purchase? Is there something in stock that has been used before that we can make live again Mm -hmm. um can we rent it from somewhere and just sort of figuring out where all of those pieces come from to create your design um that also fits the needs of the production and the needs of the individual actors Mm -hmm. you have your fittings (laughs) um you work with the actors to make sure that the garment does everything that they need it to do and nothing that they don't need it to do Mm -hmm. and um that they look appropriate and have the appropriate underpinnings and structure. And then um, you go into tech yeah. and dress rehearsal and you discover what works and what absolutely does not work. And the costume gets cut or we add a new one or, you know, somebody's shoe explodes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, a personal story. Um, it didn't, you know, I'll just say this. It's maybe not a great idea to do a show about a marathon on a 45-degree rake made out of glitter. <laughs> well, I could have told you that. And I'm going to just leave you leave that there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I need, honestly. I got a phone call, and they were like, the shoe. So I was like, it's not It's not the shoe. <laughs> it's the glitter. But. Yeah. So is there a, a side that you prefer? You said that there are the Aladdin shows, the Broadway shows that have 26 people or 26 <laughs> teams working on it. And then there are the summer stock shows where you're down there getting dirty, making things. It, do you prefer one or the other? Or do you love them both equally? Um, 
I like the ones that pay me. Yeah. <laughs> but, That's important. You know, it's again, I come to it from a storytelling side. I like fashion. I enjoy the artistry behind the clothes. But for me, every show that I work on, it sounds sort of trite and insincere, but it becomes my favorite show because mm -hmm. it, it kind of has to. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's taken you away from your family and mm -hmm. you're working crazy hours with interesting personalities sometimes. <laughs> and you really do have to fall in love with it a little bit. Um, I do think there is a little bit of an issue in this industry. Um, where there is a disconnect with um, a lot of people do not realize how much work goes into it because, mm -hmm. oh, you know, everyone's grandma can sew, yeah. uh, which is increasingly no longer true. These are skills that are disappearing and they're different jobs. The costume designer and the wardrobe person and the people that make the costumes themselves, those are three different skill sets um, that are all very, very valuable. And when you have just one person doing all three of those things, you're going to end up with, I mean, you know, if you're going to get what you pay for. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to phrase it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I don't think that it's, I don't think it's malice. I think it's just a lack of understanding of, you know, if you have a TD, mm -hmm. you need a wardrobe person. Yeah. At the, at sort of the very minimum. And, um... It is a little bit gendered. Uh, sewing is seen as women's work, mm -hmm. and um, but we're working on it, and we're working really hard to change that. So yeah, I know a number of uh, males in my theater department in college that were interested in sewing and stuff. Yeah. So you know there are people coming up all the time that are becoming increasingly interested, and that actually feeds nicely into my next question. Um, I have a number of high schoolers and college-age students that listen to the show, people fresh out of college. What advice would you give to young designers? Not sp maybe specifically costuming, but just designers in general. Um, designers in general, um, you will never regret kindness. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be the HBIC to get <laughs> ahead in life. Um, in fact, most of my jobs come my way just by being someone that people want to work with. Of course. And um, with that, I would also say know your value as an artist and don't be afraid to ask for it. Mm -hmm. If we are going to change this culture, it's going to ha start to happen from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. When you say change the culture, what does that mean? Um, I just mean that there's a lot of technicians and um, artists all across, and actors too, all across the board, who there's very much this culture of you have to pay your dues and work for nothing and mm -hmm. work for exposure. And you deserve to be able to pay your rent too, friend. Yeah, especially if you're living in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I have one last question for you, and this is something that I ask everyone. What's a show that maybe you haven't designed yet that you would love to have the opportunity to design? Oh, um, I actually have one that I would really love to design. It's has not been produced yet. Okay. I am crossing my fingers for it. About a year ago, I did a stage reading for a new musical based on um, the novel Far From the Matting Crowd. Hmm, never heard of it. It's um, basically, it's a 19th century sort of British pastoral novel about some strong uh, 
sort of a stubborn female who inho- <laughs> who inherits her uncle's farm mm-hmm. and um, how she grows up a little bit. Yeah. So it's a period piece, lots of period costumes, but it's also uh, it's set on a farm. So you get to play with um, finding different character and soft colors, and the music is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So. I did get to be in on that reading. I got to see um, Hunter Foster work some real magic with it in a very short period of time. And I, I hope, hope, hope that it gets brought to the stage. And I pray, pray, pray that they let me be a part of it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate that. Do you have any social media you'd like to plug or things you're working on you'd like to plug? Um, Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at suitcaseful-of-glitter. <laughs> great name. Great name. <laughs> I came by it honestly, and um, coming up in December, I will be designing three musicals for Theater Now New York at the West End Theater. Uh, there's a little bit of something for everybody. There's a monster musical, there's a folk music magical in an attic story, and we've even got a mental hospital, so all right, come yeah. check it out. Something for everyone. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks once again. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of your day and good luck in your future endeavors. Thanks. You too. Thanks again for listening to this week's show. If you have a moment, a review on Apple Podcasts or a subscription on your podcasting app would greatly be appreciated. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at TGLpod on Twitter and Facebook and theghostlightpod at gmail.com. I'm always looking for new, interesting people to bring on, so send me your suggestions. These interviews are becoming more difficult to schedule, so if I can't post next week, there will definitely be one the week after. See you next time at The Ghost Light.